get started and uh, um, moving right along in this passage. So we have uh, beautiful weather outside, so you end up with the lighter crowd this early, I guess. So, But that's okay. It's all good. Thirteen uh, Romans 13, we're going to get now here in verse number 8. And uh, we kind of wrapped up everything last time about the uh, government. And we're moving into the next section here, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And uh, this is the, the uh, next section in our reasonable service coming out of chapter 12 there, verse 1 and 2, as we come into this fourth foundational block in our, in our foundation here in our edification where he talks there about our reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we've been looking at the different areas as for the very first time, Paul educates the believer concerning the will of God. What, up until this point, we'd, we have, haven't had no information about this is the will of God. Now, we understand studying other uh, epistles that the will of God is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we understand that. And there's other, uh, this is the will of God concerning your life and so forth and everything. But in Romans, where we're at, he's like, now we're talking about our reasonable service. In connection to our relationship, now in chapter 13, 8, to society around us, to our neighbor. And what happens is, is this again becomes a natural flow out of the first seven verses about human government. And again, the kingdom of this world, we, we looked at it, they're going to bark orders, they're going to have dominion over you. But God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he says, hey, the Gentiles lord over you. It's not so. Today, it's about service. Same for us in the heavenly government, in the heavenly kingdom, it'll be about service. So you've got these two competing ideas. Now you come into verse 8, owe no man anything. And what did we just learn in verse 7? Pay your taxes. <laughs> so we do owe the government. So we, now we're, he's going to talk to us about owing no man anything. And he's, again, he's do, he, Paul is... When he says, oh, no, man, any, anything, he's not talking about be, not be, don't be in debt. He's not talking about money here, financing. Now, it's good to have little to no debt, okay, you know, Dave Ramsey ideas and fine, that's fine. But sometimes you got to have debt to, to do. And when you, so Paul isn't talking about that. He's not dealing with how we're handling our finances, but rather he's going to develop that, and describe for us that there, we do have an indebtedness to society. We do owe society a debt. 
And that debt really will never get it repaid. Because who do we know? We know the Lord. See, so that because of the understanding that we have, we then owe society a certain mental attitude, a certain thinking, a certain way to think about it. That's why the issue in 8, 9, and 10, by the way, this is where we're going to be this morning, is that issue of love. So what Paul is going to describe here, what he's going to demonstrate here, is the distinguishing character of the believer is going to be this issue of love. The distinguishing character of our citizenship, a heavenly citizenship, being citizens of the heavenly kingdom, is going to be this issue of love. And honestly, the greatest way to influence anyone, society we're talking about, or cause a change of heart in someone is going to be is love. So the issue here is that of the heart. It's the issue of an attitude. Paul's going to, again, renewing our minds because our natural instinct isn't to love. Our natural instinct is to what? Lord over them and nail them. Just boom, be in charge. But yet when you take on the thinking of Christ, you take on the mind of Christ, you take on the value and the esteem, the way God values and esteems things, you renew your mind. I, I, lo- I was reading, uh, I don't know if it was Newell's, Romans, but it might have been, so I can't say he said this. It's not rehab your mind, okay? It's renew. It re- you grow something new. It's a new thinking. Rehab, what do you do when you rehab? You go in, you tear the walls down, right? <laughs> but you don't change anything. You're not rehabbing. No, we're, this is a new thing. This is a complete change. So when, you, when we get into this, this issue here about love, the greatest way to influence or change society about us is going to be the issue of love. In, Roman, in, in, in verses 1 to 7, note, remember, Paul never talked about the type of government, the form of it, the people. He just talked about the bigger principle. Same thing here. When the issue here is how are we to love? See, in our connection with society, in our relationship with society about us, your neighbor, you know, I, I read an article, man, 15, 20, 15 years ago, 20 years ago maybe now, that said that the uh, Time magazine surveyed people, and they had, the question was, what is the worst neighbor that you could have? Well, obviously, the pedophile, you know, the, the deviant one. But you know what number two was? Christian. A believer. Well, that's a rough thing to be, isn't it? <laughs> so you think about that, and I don't know what it is today. Who knows what it is today? But the, the issue is here, how then do we, how are we to love? Well, look at verse 9. The end of verse 9. Namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We're to love not like the world. How does the world love? If you love me and do what I ask you to do, then I'll love you. That's how the world loves. We we don't operate that way. Come over to Philippians chapter 1. When he talks here about love, 
he's, he's not talking about the emotion of love. He's not talking about the huggy-feely, you know, kissy-kissy-kissy thing. He's not talking about charity, actually. Charity is the end of the commandment. You get to charity after the sound doctrine learns and you work that out. We, when we were in Romans 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate. A, a brotherly love. That, that's more than just that huggy, you know, let's just get along. You know, the great thing, why can't we just all get along idea. Philippians 1, here's the issue. Verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in what? Knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things that are excellent. That is a mental attitude of approving things that are more excellent. How do I, how do I approve things that are more excellent? That means on my minds, on the, sca- on the scope of the platform of my mind is... Uh, Better, best, excellent. Good, better, best, however you got to figure. There's nothing bad there. See, for the mind of the believer, we're not, sin's been dealt with, Romans 6. It's done. Sin should never be on the mind. If it is, we don't have to worry about it because what do we know to do? Get rid of it. Just wipe it out. Clean it out. Okay? Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? You're not under the law. You're under grace. So if... Sin creeps in, you just slide it off the table. Now we're going to make a decision between better, best, and and excellent. Okay? How do I do that? Based on knowledge and judgment. Judgment, discernment. Looking at it and saying, how does God value and esteem this? How would, what does God, what does Christ think about this moment? How is that? How does he... Look at this. Well, look at chapter 2 of Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 1, If there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. See that like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. See, there's, this, there's a thinking process here that we're all to attach ourselves to it. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other, other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. By the way, that, I had a guy to, that's a verse that says you can be a busybody. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about paying attention to the needs and how you can impact other people. Because look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what is the mindset? Verse 2 and 3, the one mind, the loving, that valuing and esteeming. Let's let that mindset be the same. Then in verse 6, 7, and 8, he describes the original grace thinker. Come back to Romans 13. <coughs> and how Christ, what did, who was he? He's God, but what did he do? <laughs> He came over here and became a man for who, though? Not for you. The verse in 1 Corinthians, though he were rich, but yet for your sakes he became poor. You see, he didn't come to do it for himself. He came to do it for you. Romans 13 here, that's what Paul, when Paul, this is the kind of love we are to have. 
And there's a reason why he's, in 13.8, why he's going to stress this issue about loving one another. We, we owe a, the society, 13.8, uh, owe no man anything. We owe our society a debt of love. Now, if you hold here and come back to Romans 1, you, you see what's going, why he says it this way. Because I know we owe no man, we owe nothing to anybody. We owe everything to our Savior, but to everybody else about us, we don't owe them anything. But that's not what Paul's after. Paul says your attitude, your thinking about society, your neighbor, needs to be in this category. Look at Romans 1, look at verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Okay, why, are, why is Paul a debtor? What's he doing here? Verse 15, this is why. So as much as in me is, well, what's in Paul? The doctrine, the gospel. Hey, they're sinners. He, that's what he's about to lay out, verse 18. The wrath of God's being, you know, shed abroad here. Let's go. Why? Because what do I know? I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. What does Paul have? Paul says, look, I have the sound doctrine that answers the problems of society. So I'm on the carpet to what? I owe him a debt. To not keep my mouth shut, but to talk. Now, when you come over to 13, I'll just tell you, some people can talk to folks a lot easier than others. And just because you can't talk to everybody you meet means, doesn't mean that you're not being the debtor, okay? Let's leave this within our personalities and within our confinements because some people have the gift of gab and others have the gift of shyness <laughs> and don't have that gab. But, what, but, but at the same token, if you... If you're shy or um, introvert, that's the word I couldn't think of it. I don't know why, because if you're an introvert and yet you choose to live your life godly, live as who you are in Christ, you're making a broader testimony than standing up in front of everybody talking. Because you're quietly, what, demonstrating the sound doctrine you've learned in the details of your life. Sometimes that quiet testimony hits you harder than, the, than being the, the, uh, the yacker, you know. It really does. The extrovert, thank you, the yacker. That's great English. You know, hey, what do you say, you know? If, if I had, if I, I was watching this stuff with the queen, and they're interviewing a guy, and he's the royal historian for the, you know, umpteen thousands of years or whatever, and he's got that perfect English and he's got that perfect dictation. And I'm like, dude, you are boring. <laughs> and I'm, you know, anyway, Romans 13. We do owe the world a debt because we know what the real deal is. We know what's really going on. And we owe them a debt of love. And that's what it is, but to love one another. And that's the good. What is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? What's the good? Again, we have to remind ourselves, you go back there to Genesis 1, and God created, and it was what? Good. Why was it good? Because it's got a purpose. There's a reason for it, a design. 
So if God said it, and it's got to have a purpose and a design for it, then what do I say? It's acceptable. It's, there's a reason for it. I may not understand it. I may not get it and so forth, but you know what? I'm going to believe it because it's God's word, and I'm going to get educated on it. And it's perfect, the issue of maturity. It'll grow me up. It'll grow up in him. So what is the will of God your relation, in your relationship to the society about him? We are to love one another. As we move here in thinking about the mentality that we're to have, we're, we are to, we are to, to adopt, we're to, to bring into our thinking the same philosophy, the same thinking, the same value, the same esteem that God has to an unworthy, an unthankful, an undeserving, doomed world. How about that for you? Because what's going on around us? I mean, you look at society, you don't even have to get out of the city of Tempe, look at what, you know, you, whatever, and yet what does Romans 5, 8 say? But God commended his love toward us, and not while we were, what, yet sinners. We weren't loving, we weren't thankful. Actually, Romans 1 says we were not thankful. The heathen aren't thankful. And yet, what are we to do? We're to have that same love. We're to sit, look at that and say, look, they don't deserve the, you know what they deserve? They deserve what they get. That's what we, you know. But what is my attitude toward them to be? One of love, a debt. Come over to Titus chapter 3. That, the only way to adopt that thinking of that valuing and esteeming our neighbor, the society about us who is unworthy, who's unthankful, who doesn't deserve it, is through a renewed mind. Our natural tendency is to not respond that way. It's, what are you doing on my property? <laughs> okay? We have the security cameras up. Worst thing that ever happened. You know why? Because I see everything. You know, it's like, but don't you know you're on private property? I'm yelling at the screen. They can't hear me. I, the guys were like, hey, do you want us to be able to talk to them, you know? And I'm like, no, because I would have way too much fun. This is God. What are you doing on my property? <laughs> you know, I would just have way too much hidden camera fun, you know, and, and actually probably be really, probably cause a few heart attacks. Because, <laughs> yes, Lord, I'm sorry, you know, but the, the thing is, is, what do we want to do? You're on private property. Don't you know that this is private property? Don't you know? You, you just you know, you know. I'm talking to the screen. I'm like, ah, oh, you know. So I turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. That's our tendency, isn't it? If that's not how we're to be, it takes the renewed mind. Titus three verse one. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Now watch. To speak evil of no men, no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto the household of faith. Unto who? All men. Isn't it interesting, connected with the governmental exhortation in verse 1, is now this exhortation to society about us. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and 
pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Isn't that interesting? There's the world's problem. But look at the answer, verse 4. But, God, but after the kindness and what? Love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. You see, the answer isn't thou shalt not. And that's what Paul's going to get to us in, in Romans 13. The answer isn't the Ten Commandments. The answer is what? The love of God. There's grace. So now you're going to have a, uh, back in Romans 13, what are we going to have? Go to 1 Thessalonians 3 on your way back to Romans 13. We're going to see this thing here about a, another nail in the coffin of the law, of the Mosaic law, again, by the hammer of grace. Roman, uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, look if you will at verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and, bound and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. You see, our relationship with society, we're not to be worried about the government or they're at what they're doing. We are to be focused in on one thing, and that is to love them. Paul tells the Galatians, I gave you the truth, and yet you still went against me. I just lost the verse. Anyway, I loved you enough. I love you enough to give you the truth. When we, when we talk about evangelism, when we go out to the swap meet and we talk about dealing with people, I, I, I'm a firm believer in asking permission to share. That way when they object later, then I can say, wait a minute, you said okay. But the question you get started with is, has anyone loved you enough to ever ask you where you would, if you were to die today, would you, where would you spend eternity? Has anyone ever loved you enough to ask that? Why? Now, you're about to tell them they're a sinner, they're on their way to hell, they need a Savior, here's the answer. So you're about to tr tread through some rough seas with them, but where's it coming from? A heart of love. So when you come back to Romans 13, the answer is love, but again, it's toward all men. Love, our, this issue of this value and esteeming, we have value and esteem each other all day long. But what about the, guy, the neighbor, society about us? So 13, 9. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. The end of verse 10, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, we're going to get into that a little more as we get down in verse 10, because now Paul's going to do something. Paul's going to bring up verse 9, for this, thou shalt not <coughs> commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. He's going to bring up the Mosaic, the Ten Commandments, okay? But he's not bringing up... You know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four or five are about Israel's relationship with God. Have no other gods before me. Do the, uh, the, the Sabbath. Then the last of the commandments are moral laws, how you're going to conduct yourself, how Israel is going to relate with society. Now, Paul doesn't bring these up for you and I to have a standard for us relating to society. Okay, 
we have a bigger, a superior standard in relating to society, which is what? Love. Okay? And what he's going to do is, Paul, he's not giving these to us as this is our moral compass or our way to live. Okay? You've got to catch this because sometimes I said it last Sunday and nobody caught it, but then that's okay. Paul gives us nine of the ten commandments to keep. I remember I said that. Well, in Colossians, he says, don't, worry, don't have to keep the Sabbath day. But he's not, he's not telling. Now, by the way, is it good not to steal? Yeah. Is it good not to kill? Yes. Or commit adultery or bear false witness? By the way, thou shalt not bear false witness in all the new Bibles is gone. They pull that out of that verse. <laughs> Why? Well, what are they doing? They're bearing false witness. So there you go. But it, it's good to, do, to live that way, but that isn't our guidance. R- real quick, come back over to Titus 2. Just, I think about this, and Paul, he's not giving this to us to be the basis, the standard of how we are to live today in the age of grace. Okay? Look at Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. So the grace of God is going to teach us something. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What's our standard? The grace of God. Romans 13, what is it? To love one another. That's the standard. So Paul brings, go back to Romans 13, he brings this up in demonstrating once again in the book of Romans, which Romans is laying that foundation of grace into the hearts of the believer, that we don't need the law to govern our behavior. We don't need the law because there is a far superior rule in our life. There is a more, there's a, uh, I almost want to say more, more better, more perfect standard that provides the compass of our morality, if you will. Now, what most of Christianity uses is the Ten Commandments to guide the morality, Thou shalt not. But for you and I, as we understand the word rightly divided and we get into the and Pauline's epistles and we get into that grace life, we've got something that is far superior, and that's that issue of love, the value and esteeming of others the way God does. How does God think about that lost person? Well, Romans 1 to 5, he nails them. He, you're guilty. But then what? But I loved you and I died for you, see? So then, how's our thinking to be? That renewed mind here. So when we read verses 8, 9, and 10, we we need to be careful here. We need to read it properly. He's not saying, go take these five of the ten and go do them. He's like, look, guys, we have something far superior than this. And he's demonstrating once again that the law is a bad deal. Okay, so you got law bad, grace good, (laughs) if you will. Now, he's been doing it all through Romans. 
Now, is the law, is the Mosaic law righteous? Yes, it's the law of God. But the, the if-then component to it is where the problem is. Come back with me to Romans 3. Just notice this again. We didn't do this last section. We'll do it here now. Paul is making a list. He's developing a list in Romans that you don't need to be under the law, the Mosaic law. Okay? You need to be under who you are in Christ and under the grace principle. The law says, thou shalt not. Grace says, I did it for you. Trust me. Believe me. Rest in me. Don't you do something it's already done for you. Unbelief under the law would be what? To violate the thou shalt not. Unbelief today would be to go try to do something to help him. Look at Romans 3. Look at verse 19. Watch Paul just kind of list this out. It's, it's just, I don't know, gives you goosebumps. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. I, you know, I think about that thing where the Lord talks to the disciples and they say, teach us to pray. And he says, don't pray like the heathen. And much repetition, they think that's going to get them heard, you know, Matthew 6. Don't do that. Pray this way in the kingdom. What does man usually try to do? Well, if you have kids, you know this. They like to nag mom and dad until somebody caves, even though it's been said no. Well, we'll just, you know, and it's like enough. Verse 19, you know what God says to man? Shut up. Stop. You're done. You've had your objections. Chapter 1, chapter 2, first of three. Enough. What did the law say you are? You're guilty. Look at that. And all the world may become guilty before God. By the way, the law doesn't provide the answer. The law says what? You're guilty. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The law provides no manner to fix your problem. What does the law do? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What did the law say? Thou shalt not do... If you do this, you're a sinner, you're violating the law, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, but the law never gave an answer to satisfy the guilt. So the law is not a good thing. But what is good? But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets and so great, his grace is good. Come over to chapter 4. And again, Paul lays this out in, in Romans because Romans is laying in the doctrine of grace. And what do you got to get rid of? You got to nail the, the coffin lid shut on the law. That's why in Galatians 3, he looks at those Galatians and he says, Who has bewitched you? And you look at that issue about bewitching and you go back to Saul and the witch of Endor. And, and the witch knew not to raise up the dead, Samuel. But yet, what did King say? Do it anyway. And what God, through Paul, is saying is, Galatians, why are you raising up something I said is dead? The law. 
chapter 4, look at verse 15. Because the law worketh grace and peace and love and joy. No, no, what does it work? It works wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. What's the, what is the, no help? Chapter 5, I'm, you know, you, I, you just work this out. Verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. Look at that. Why did the law show up? So the offense would be what? Magnified, abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The law, it, there's, there's no, it, the law, the law's dealing with sin. There's, no, there's nothing in the, about redeeming it, paying for it. Now, the law does say, go do these sacrifices, but that's a temporary fix to a permanent issue. See? Grace comes in and says, I took care of it permanently. It's done. Chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For ye are under, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. How does sin have dominion over me and my life? I'm living under the law. When sin's running your life, where are you? You're not under grace, you're under the law. A law of your own mind, a law of your own making. That's what chapter 7 is. I try to do right and right, back and forth and boom. Now watch verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? What's the divine protest? God forbid. No. Why don't you sin under grace? Because you're not thinking, you're, you're thinking how he thinks about it. You're grateful for what, who you are in Christ. You're grateful for what he's done for you. What, he saved you. He's given you his identity here in 6. Chapter 7, 7, 5. For when we were in the flesh, notice, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. I love the motions of sins in my flesh. Why? What was producing the motion? The law was. The rule of do this, don't do that. So what am I? I'm over here doing this. And all I'm doing is producing death. First, or, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, the law is called the, the administration of death. That's what it's designed to do. Why? It's designed to prove to man you can't do it. You need help. Do it. You need a savior. You need a redeemer. You need a deliverer. You need help. That's why in Romans five, or, or uh, in Romans, he, the law drags you to Christ. It's get its fulfillment there. Come over to chapter eight, verse three. Romans eight three. Romans eight three. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak. Through the flesh. Notice the law couldn't do something. Why? It's weak in the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And there it is. The holy standard of, of perfect righteousness. You can't do it. Now you think about the law. If, 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 if the whole of seven, um, 
the whole of Romans 7 is that the law is righteousness. The problem is man. He's a sinner. So when you take that holy standard of the law and you put it in the hands of the sinner, all that it did was doomed the sinner. That's all it did. It made it where there's no answer. So when you come to 13, the next issue in the list about the law, by the way, there's stuff in chapter 11. And by the way, on your way back to 13, if you look in 10.4, uh, 10.3, for they being ignorant of God, they, that's Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Again, the law couldn't do it. What's doing this? Grace, so you and I, in our reasonable service, in our relationship to society about us, the law isn't the standard. What, sta what is the standard? Love. That's the standard. That, mentality, that mental attitude of thinking about and evaluating and esteeming others better than themselves. How does Christ think about this? So Paul gives the information here, brings this up, adds it to the list about the inferiority of the law, because the, great, the, the superior is what we want in our life. And the superior is loving one another. Now, the end of verse 8, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Then at the end of verse 10, he says the same thing. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So love is doing what? It's achieving, it's accomplishing all that the law was demanding. Follow that? I hope. Okay? Everything that the law, what was the law pushing people to perfect righteousness come back to chapter 8 we didn't read it I, I, I we read verse 3 but look at verse 4 Romans 8 4 that the righteousness of the law well think about that there is right there is a righteousness of the law not in the hands of the sinner because they're not doing it they're abusing it might be fulfilled, those next two words, in us. See that? The righteousness of the, we, we fulfill the righteousness of the law, but where? In us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. When we're walking as who we are in Christ, then our, what becomes second nature to us is literally that righteousness of the law, the messianic law. One day that'll be there, okay? But we're doing it. We're doing it under not a thou shalt not, but we're doing it, hey, we appreciate and are gra we're grateful for what he's done for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, 16, 17, 14, 15. We're going to live for him because he died for me. And we're going to have his word influence our, our lives. So go back to Romans 13, verse 9. We don't, again, what, what, the reason that Paul brings up the Ten Commandments here, the commandments, is to demonstrate to us that we don't need the law to fulfill it because it's weak. We have something far superior. We have a, we have a, a, 
better rule of life. That is the issue of love, the issue of grace. Now, in verse 9, he's going to explain out why he's doing this by quoting Leviticus 19. So go back with me to Leviticus 19, because this is where the quote is from. Leviticus 19. <clears throat> In Romans 13, 9, Paul is now going to explain why the law could not do what love can do. And he does it by quoting Leviticus 19, verse 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Thou neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor, I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. The end of verse 18 there is the quote, thou shalt love the neighbor, thy neighbor as thyself. Now think about this. What did he just say? I don't care what your neighbor does, you are to love him. He's legislating what? Loving your neighbor. See that? He's, there's no wiggle room there at all, is there? He's regulating love. In the, you are required by the law to love your neighbor. So then the great question is what? Who's my neighbor? Because I really don't like my neighbor, so he can't be my neighbor. Really, my neighbor's got to be somebody else, right? Right? So now we're now we are left to what? Legislate who our neighbor is. But do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ tells you who your neighbor is? Come over to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Just why by the way, your neighbor today is who? Society. It's everybody. Because today's ministry is what? It's an all-man ministry. We're to have love toward all men. We can't, remember we had the neighbor next door here that didn't like us? They moved away. You know what? We loved that guy as hard as he was. Why? Because he's our neighbor. Luke 10. Notice, you guys all know the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? All right, look at this, verse 27. And he answered, and uh, by, by the way, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. So the Lord is talking to the lawyer who's doing what? Not believing, but what? Tempting. All right? He's, he's trying to catch the Lord in a, in a lie or in a manner that he can then accuse him later. And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? I lo you know, that how readest thou? Man, how you read verses, boy, can get you in hot water or it can put you on easy train. 
It's amazing, but the Lord says it. Anyway, and he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So the guy's got it right, right? But now watch the Lord. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? See how the guy's, that, that age-old question, see, you thought you had it new when you said, well, who's the neighbor? No, it's been going on since Moses wrote it in Leviticus. Now watch the Lord answer the who's the neighbor question. And Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and was stripped of him, uh, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And also, and, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So the Levite and the priest look at the guy, and what did they determine? They know the law, love your neighbor, thou shalt love your neighbor. But what did those two guys, those two characters do? He's not my neighbor, so I don't have to love him. They determine, now watch the, the Samaritan. But a, good, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his beast, and brought him to an inn, and, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. You see, the lawyer was picking who his neighbor was. You know how you do that. You do good to me and I'll do good to you so we're neighbors. But what was the real deal? The one that showed the compassion, had the love. There's the neighbor. My point is, is the man was mistreating his neighbor, and the Lord nailed him on it, because what did he say? Here, here, thou shalt not, hear the law, thou shalt love thy neighbor. And the Lord says, yeah, you said it right, but you ain't doing it. <laughs> so you're, you're guilty for you and I, 1 Timothy 1. Who is our neighbor today? Romans 13, it's the whole of society. It's everybody we come in contact with. 1 Timothy 1, look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. There's something about God's grace that demonstrates some, that we have something far better than the law. That legislative performance-based thou shalt love component. Instead of God telling us to love all the men and all of our neighbor, etc., or else, by the way, if they broke the law, what happened to them? There was a curse that came upon them. We're told we owe a debt of love to society. 
Come back to Romans there. Why? Because we, come over to Romans 5, because of God's grace. And what happens is, is Romans 5, God's grace produces in the realm of our inner man a capacity to do what the Spirit wants done. Look at Romans 5. Look at verse 5. Okay? You go back up there to verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad where? In our hearts. That thing is shed abroad. It takes up every nook and cranny, every corner. It doesn't leave. It, uh, our neighbors, they ripped out all their uh, real grass and they put in the fake grass, okay? And they put in some concrete pad next to the driveway. When those guys laid that concrete, you know where it went? It went everywhere that was formed, okay, obviously, okay? But what did it do? It filled up every nook and cranny. The love of God does that. It fills up every part of our heart. So his love occupies our thinking, your heart, your, the mentality of your soul. His love occupies that comes in and takes up every nook and cranny. Now, again, how that works out is the renewing of your mind. Take Romans 5, great eternal security passage for the believer. Why? Because we, tribulation comes, what do we know? It's designed to work out to the end down here where the love of God is shut abroad in our hearts. We look at the details of life and who's controlling our thinking. Not the law, but who? Grace. So which do you want? Law or grace? Which one? <laughs> You got it, but you have to pick that. What's superior? Grace is. Love is. Okay? Now go back to Romans 13, because we got five minutes here. So in 13.9, when he says, for this, then he says, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What Paul is by Quoting Leviticus 19, he's demonstrating that we don't need the law. We have something far superior, and that is the issue of love, loving our neighbor. And love is the superior standard that allows the believer to do exactly what God would expect us to do here, specifically in our relationship with society. Just as we are to be subject to the higher powers, why? Because God ordained them, he set it, not the form, not the people, but the, or the office, okay? We come over here now and we operate the same way with our, with, within society. So in verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Look at that, ill, not evil. Okay, let love, uh, chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil. Here it's ill. Now, when you think about the word ill, 
what do you usually think about? Sick. Somebody's sick. Okay? Whether it's little bit sniffles or laid out, you know, <laughs> can't move flu. Well, I guess it would be COVID I, you know, today. Who knows? <laughs> okay? You, know, you get sick, you get sick. You know? When I, in 2019, I had my motorcycle accident, and I, it was in November, and I went to the, to the ER. I got sick in the ER. The next February, I went to California for the Bible conference. I came back. I went to urgent care, and the lady looks at me and says, you got the crud. So here's your Z-Pack. Go home. Stick your head over a pot of water and get the, you know, open up. I'm like, okay, March they announced that COVID-19's hit the world. CDC lists the, yeah, the symptoms. I had every symptom but one. And I'm like, I wasn't a crud. This is COVID-19 stuff. But what was, but it was the crud. <laughs> do this. Ill, sick. What do you, what happens? Love doesn't say, I'm not gonna steal and kill and kill you and slander you and do all that. Love says, I don't want to do anything that would work ill to you. I don't want to do anything that would hurt you in any manner. It's actually a more sensitive feeling, if you will, thought process than thou shalt not. That's sterile. That's a boom. Well, kill how? Halfway or all the way? Self-defense or, you know, now you got all this. No, love says, I don't want to do anything. I love you with such a depth that I don't, I never, I, want, I don't want to do anything that would ever hurt you or harm you in even the slightest moment. And again, chapter 12, verse 9 there and 10 is the idea, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. That's the idea about the ill in 10. I don't want to I don't want to come along if it's wrong for me to do something that's wrong. If it's wrong for me to steal, that's wrong. I don't want to do something that'll bring you even harm. I don't even want that thought to cross my mind cuz it could hurt. Look at Ephesians 4. Just uh, we were we had the men's fellowship yesterday and we were talking and uh, Ephesians 4.32, as a young man growing up of about 13, 14, 15, <laughs> I wrote this verse a lot with two younger brothers. Yeah. And the, brother, the sibling uh, escapades of bro that brothers will get into. And he says, and be ye kind one to another. What? Tenderhearted. There's the issue about working no ill. Forgiving one another. Hey, I, I want to be kind. I want to be tenderhearted. I want to forbear. I want 2 Timothy 2 to be gentle. I want to have meekness and so forth. So in 13, Paul's not saying keep the law to, to know how to live a godly life. He's saying, guys, you don't need the law because we have something far superior, which is love. Love does way more than what the law requires. The law said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love says, you, 
You go do for him because look at what Christ did for you. And you know that. You understand that. And by the way, go do more. Not because you're going to get something. Because what are you? You're already sealed. You're already blessed with all. You're already complete. But you know that. But do it because of who you are. That the love of God has what? Controlling your thinking. So then he says, verse 11, and that, and we'll get into that next time, okay? Because <laughs> he's going to move into uh, some other things here about the future. Love does way more than what the law requires, folks. Now, is it good not to steal, murder, do all that? Yes, it is, okay? By the way, Paul says, uh, speak evil of no man. There's your false witness, your slander, right? He says, let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor with the. There's your thou shalt. Okay, so Paul does lay out there. I call them, excuse me, the laws of grace. And I do that to make everybody go, huh? You know, because there are what? There are rules in grace to how you're supposed to live, but where does it come from? What's the motivation? Okay? You don't need the law. The book of Galatians, what did Galatia do? They took the law and took off with it. And Romans 11, verse 6, is a verse that needs to be here. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. They don't mix. And when you try that, you just get frustrated. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the instructions in it, for the desire to look into it and be edifying and enlightening in our lives just for your honor and your glory. In your name we pray, amen. All right.